We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What if Santa didn't need eight reindeer to guide him through the night? Hey, Mercedes, map me to Kalamazoo. Okay, mapping the fastest route to Michigan. Or what if his sleigh could get real-time weather info? Hey, Mercedes, what's the temperature on the 25th? 22 degrees. Rooftops may be icy. Mercedes-Benz MBUX technology hasn't made it to flying sleighs, but it's available to you on the A-Class, the GLE, or GLC. And you can get them all for an exceptional price during the Mercedes-Benz winter event. MBUX Command simulated. Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. Ah, aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price nine ninety nine ninety nine. 0% APR while supplies last. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 129, and this one is brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and this week's show is indeed coming out at the end of the week, as people have pointed out, but that is because I had the chance to get a major voice in not just Barcelona community, but the footballing community on the line from Yahoo Sports, The Athletic, VR Football, and much more. It's Ryan Bailey. Thanks for joining the show, Ryan. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm definitely not part of the Barcelona community, but I'll do my best to try and fit in while I'm in these parts. You don't have to be partial at all, but Legon Pagunta today, our Barcelona repeating last season, and we're going to be talking El Clasico. So, Ryan, at least if you're not a Madrista, I think we're okay. Yeah, I think we're fine on that front. I've always had a soft spot for Barcelona. Definitely of the two, um, I think I prefer them. Looking back historically, reading Sid Lowe's books and so so forth, I think uh, definitely I've got a, a soft spot for Barca over Real. So don't worry about that. And that is music to our ears. But <laughs> it, it's also helpful that today's La Gran Pagunta of our Barcelona repeating last season. On the surface, it seems like we're having negative La Gran Pagunta today. But that's only if you label last year a failure. In fact, Barcelona had been dominating Spanish football lately, including El Clasico's. And you've been highlighting that in, in both 
written form and in video form recently on Yahoo Sports. And looking at El Clasico's recent history, not only plenty of goals, but Barcelona 12 wins to Madrid's four since 2008. It certainly has been Barcelona's time there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I did write a piece uh, for Yahoo Sports this week about how Barcelona have dominated the Clasico in recent seasons and how R- Madrid are kind of in danger of being left in the wilderness in this fixture. Uh, there's lots of stats to suggest, you know, uh, Madrid have only won three of the last 10 Clasicos at the Bernabeu, for example. And I know home advantage isn't a big deal in this game because it really can swing either way, but that's quite stunning, really. And uh, Barcelona are the favourites in this one. I can't imagine many teams go to the Bernabeu being favourites with the bookmakers as the away team. That's, that's quite odd. Um, and I think the last league win that Madrid had at the Bernabeu was 2014. That's quite some time ago. But jumping back to your question there of are Barcelona repeating last season, I don't frame that negatively at all. From my outsider opinion, Barcelona what won the league, won the uh, King's Cup, uh, went deep into the Champions League. What's wrong with repeating that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's much to it. And when looking at Barcelona against Real Madrid in the Liga, it's even different than you wonder if the history between the two is more prevalent in the moment or if it's Barcelona's dominance in the Copa del Rey that seems to be the number that stands out to us. They've made six straight Copa del Rey finals, eight of the last nine, nine of the last 11, and they've also captured seven of the last 10 La Liga titles, though. So it's not like Barcelona is a team that is not consistently doing this over the last decade, that it really is almost a decade of dominance in domestic league campaign. But I think that's what it's kind of the the snake hiding in the weeds that everything, unfortunately, is framed through the Champions League, unfortunately. And, you know, not only with your work through Yahoo Sports, but or even writing for The Athletic for Man City, we're going to get to that in the second half of the show. But for also your work in doing BR football, it seems that the focus is the Champions League, that if you're the team that winds up winning, regardless of how you win in the Champions League, that's what people are going to remember. But and this is just global. Barcelona's not a global team. But the, the feedback I got on social media always is that, that uh, and this is an interesting thing somebody brought up to me, that do Catalans care more of destroying Real Madrid and they would put more you know, uh, emphasis on this coming fixture over on that being tomorrow, regardless of when you have this in your ears? Or is it that Champions League really is the thing that people all over the world and even in Catalonia recognize is what moves the needle? I think that probably depends on your opinion from fan to fan. But from my perspective, I see, you know, it's not always the best team that wins the Champions League. We've seen a couple of the titles that Madrid won recently. They weren't the best team when Chelsea won it. They definitely weren't the best team in the competition. It's a knockout competition. There's there's some elements of chance that come into that and good fortune. Whereas to win the league, you do have to be the best team. It's a 38, you know, 38 leg stretch there. You've got to get through the whole thing and you are the best team. So I think there's a lot of honour and there's more honour in doing, say, the, uh, the, the domestic double, winning Liga and the King's Cup over, you know, underperforming in the Liga and maybe getting that Champions League title. I think I'd rather be in Barcelona's boots and be the better team in the domestic league, personally. Yeah, I think, I mean, still from what's happening with Barcelona recently in the Champions League, though, a lot of Kool-Aids and a lot of, of fans are wondering what if or what happens if, what's the worst case scenario? And obviously that worst case scenario is Real Madrid finding a way to find their form and get there finally and win another Champions League uh, in a fourth consecutive year. But I, I think we're seeing the Real Madrid that Barcelona faced in the Copa del Rey. And yes, they were better in the first leg, but Madrid is in a transition year. I think that's 
not only with the the exit of Cristiano Ronaldo, but you can see that. But the question then becomes about Barcelona's recent domestic dominance. What happens when Real Madrid starts spending tons of money again? It doesn't necessarily just mean that they're going to win Champions Leagues, but that certainly seems a formula for how Real Madrid can, can begin again, we'll say, to target the Copa del Rey and the Liga year after year after year again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, but who says they are going to start spending tons of money again? I mean, that hasn't right. been the pattern for a little while so far. I mean, obviously, that's been there since the millennium or so. It's been their, uh, their, their MO to go out and spend loads of money on a big summer signing. Hasn't really happened. I mean, Vinicius cost, what, 45 million euro, right. but... James Rodriguez was probably the big last Galactico they signed. That was 2014. So uh, I'm not convinced they will start spending loads of money again. But even if they do, this is still a fractured team. This is still a team where, you know, Gareth Bale was supposed to be the talisman in the post-Ronaldo era. But he's not. He's, by all accounts, he's certainly unpopular with many fans. And he's quite unpopular with his teammates, it seems. Um, doesn't integrate with them very well. And this, you know, don't quite have the fluidity within this side that Barcelona do. Uh, I don't think, it was, you know, I think there's a lot of missing pieces in this Madrid side. Definitely having, a, obviously having a very shaky year. The kind of teams they are losing to unexpectedly this season. I, I mean, the... For a positive for Madrid fans, the only way is up because, I mean, they'd expect better performances in the league and more coherent performances. So I think from next season, if they do spend a bit of money, they have the potential to, you know, improve from this season. But, I mean, I, I wouldn't be too worried about them, um, you know, trouncing Barcelona anytime soon in the domestic front. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't get any joy in watching what's happening with Gareth Bale or Isco and watching the struggles of those mm. two superstars, if you will, because I also know that they'll fetch huge transfers plus the money that Florentino Perez is sitting on at the moment. But, you know, I also look at the spine and the backbone of their team for all the worries of, of Luis Suarez, Messi, Busquets, Rakitic, Pique, Alba, all being now 30 plus. I look at Kareem Benzema, Luka Modric, and they have to be transitioned out as well. And Real Madrid haven't, I mean, yes, Danny Caballos, and there are young players there. Llorente is the other one I think of. But I feel like Madrid also has some turnover coming. And the broader picture there, Ryan, do you think that, and not only Atletico Madrid, they seem to be going through their own things as well. And if they lose Diego Simeone and they're losing Godin. So part mm. of what's made these teams so much of themselves over the last decade, it seems that a new era is dawning. And I think it's funny that we're talking about personnel but TV rights and, and revenue sharing seem to be the answer more so than just looking at how these teams are going to execute that personnel change. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's definitely a change is going to come. These dynasties can't last forever, all these uh, you know, legendary players that we see in all these teams. But as you say, some young players are coming through at Madrid. We've got uh, uh, Sergio Reguilón coming in at um, mm -hmm. a fullback, who's doing a pretty good job so far. But there are players, I mean, when you mentioned that they'll get big big money for people like Gareth Bale. I'm not convinced they will. I, hmm. I don't know who's going to pay big money for Gareth Bale, given his injury uh, record and, you know, the, the wages he would command. But uh, that's probably beside the point. But, yeah, I, I think uh, there's if, if this is a transition year for Madrid, they might have a few more transition years ahead of them too. And the one thing that, obviously, in the back of Kule's minds that, I don't like to bring it up too much throughout a season, but when we saw Real Madrid against Barcelona the first time in La Liga this season, mm -hmm. and now even a little bit in that Copa del Rey, 
not only was Messi not on the field for the first one out due to injury, but he's the one that really didn't factor into the decision of the Copa del Rey win. And you did have a, a video piece, and we'll link that in the description, as Barcelona better than Madrid even without Messi was an interesting thought experiment you'd have. And obviously, I implore people to go over to watch the video as well. But it seems like it's a good thought experiment that could give Kule some confidence. And again, not just about La Liga and in Copa del Rey, which only has one match left against Valencia, the final. But it does give them some, some hope, I'd say, uh, that Barcelona still have the legs now down the stretch, even if Messi isn't firing on all cylinders in the Champions League. Yeah, definitely. And I think all Barcelona fans are going to have to one day deal with the fact, all soccer fans are going to have to one day deal with yeah. the fact that Messi's not going to be around, you know, it's going to be whether it's three or four seasons time or a little longer, that there's going to be an era where they have to move past him. And, and that question of if Barcelona are better without Messi, there are some stats suggesting that they are, uh, as I mentioned in that video that you, that you pointed to from Yahoo. I mean, the, the, you mentioned the 5-1 Classico back in October. He wasn't playing. He basically might as well not have been playing in the second leg of the semi-final as well. Didn't have too much impact there. Um, but but, but I, I did. I ran some numbers for this one. And the points that Messi's goals specifically have earned Barcelona, I worked out that he's earned them 11 points. That's through goals that have either produced a win or a draw. Uh, so if they didn't have those 11 points, they'd still be, I think, a point ahead of Real Madrid. So they still still, still be pretty good. And But I think they'd be behind Atleti. So mm. his impact has been quite important this season. But there is, you know, there is life after Messi potentially. And I mean, you look at the the games when he was injured, when when he had that arm injury earlier this season, the beat Internazionale in, in in the Champions League. They had that massive comeback against it was Rayo Vallecano, wasn't it? When I think there was a couple of goals really late on, and the Clasico. So uh, I think there's plenty of hope for this Barcelona side, but there is there is that messy factor in that I I, I feel that I I mean I'm not in the locker room with them at the Camp Nou but I feel like if you know you have Messi in your side that must give you some backbone it must give you some belief even if he does have a quiet game like on on, on Wednesday you must know that yeah this guy if we need it can turn the game for us and I think that must give you a certain positivity a certain belief that you wouldn't have if you knew he wasn't going to be there if that makes sense no I think that makes a lot of sense and even we saw in in the last in the transition over the course of this season, how Usmane Dembele had started the year, and now when he has the ball at his feet, there's this belief that something's going to happen. And as silly as this is for any team, whether you root for, for uh, Galatasaray or Bolton, whoever it is, if there's not only a young player, but if there's an established player that is in your team that you know can get a goal or can impact the game in a... Uh, or. or take charge of a game as if you as you were kind of saying that you have that x factor and Messi obviously is the, the greatest x factor in the world because not only can he score but he can dribble he can assist he can do all those different things I mean what he can't do is defend for well even 80 or 70 minutes nowadays but he can't affect it offensively in every way and I, 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 I think back to Cardiff City even a few years ago Peter Whittingham was the, the guy for me for there he was just a guy in the midfielder that even at lower levels, there has to be for teams to to succeed that the fans can latch onto one player to know that he's going to be the guy that, that, that turns the tide. And I, I wonder, I mean, since I have you on the line here, the long term of Messi, if he's a guy that is slowly going to fade and it'll look like he has less and less of it this year, because we could argue that Xavi left before 
he really had fallen off that cliff. Iniesta left before he had fallen off that cliff. Now, yes, they yeah. had slowed down, but they hadn't really taken that. And I, I always, I, I'm a big fan of the NBA as well. And I look at a guy like Kobe Bryant, where he always had it, but then when he didn't, he didn't have it. Hakeem Olajuwon had it, and then he, when he wasn't in Houston anymore, he just he didn't have it. So I wonder if Messi is going to be a case of you're just going to wake up one morning and he's no longer the Lionel Messi that he was, or if we're going to see him move on before that, like Xavi Iniesta, or if it will be more of a slow decline because of all of what he brings in terms of his vision and all of those different things. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And I think our, um, not only do, can players deteriorate quite quickly, but our opinions of players can change very quickly. Too. Yeah. We can, us, us soccer fans are very fickle. And it will be interesting to see down the line whether he does um, uh, take, take, take leave from Barcelona before before he starts to go down that hill, as, as you say, as Xavi Iniesta did as well. Now, I, I'll be interested to see that. But we're talking about Messi as that character in the dressing room who you have belief in. Who is that for Real Madrid? That's what I want to know. Who is it? I mean, is it Sergio Ramos? Who is it? It felt like, well, I I think you're right. I think for me, it's that in the last five, 10 minutes of a game, if Sergio Ramos is in your penalty box, you're afraid that he's either going to score a goal or maim one of your players or your goalkeeper. (laughs) And those are the two feelings I have. But I think with Vinicius Jr. against Nelson Semedo, that's the the, the one-on-one battle that I think is being highlighted, which is really interesting Mm. that a guy like Nelson Semedo is at the forefront of the El Clasico conversation. And that just tells you, I, I think the lack of, um, even though Green Benzema has kind of bounced back a little bit, just a lack of fear or maybe a confidence in Ter Stegen and PK that you have to deal with Benzema in that the way that Real Madrid attack is now set up on those flanks, Vinicius Jr. is the guy that they're trying to focus on as well. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. I think they've got we've seen Testegen and, and Pique and Titi and those kind of players being pretty solid in the back. And but I think the, the main reason that perhaps that Vinicius and Semedo conversation is coming up is because we Real Madrid are really good down the left this season. It seems, yeah. doesn't it? In that left channel, not just with him, but with uh, um, Reguilón, as I mentioned earlier. You got Tony Crows operating vaguely in that area too. But the way Reguilón and um, and Vinicius were operating in that in that um, Copa del Rey second leg semi final second leg. I was very impressed with that, and I think that's you know that's got to be an area that Barcelona got to be concerned about on the field. Surely the most concerning area. Yeah, pace is what I, I've been saying week after week is the one thing that I think Kule's fear more than anything else, just due to the age of the the core of the side in midfield mm. with Rakitic and Busquets in the back line. And to to that point, and that's why in the Champions League, while Barcelona are it's obviously a, a nil nil draw at the moment with Lyon. Lyon are a team that, while they don't have the quality that Barcelona have, they do have a little bit of pace, and they are younger. And that is why <laughs> there is that doubt, I think, in the back of Kules. But again, you're sitting looking at it from the outside, that worst-case scenario for, for Barcelona fans, how will Kules view this season if Barcelona wind up winning the domestic double again, but Madrid find their way to the UCL title again? And, and that's what I mean by our Barcelona repeating last season, that if they again capture domestic double... And this is the worst way to say this, but playing the way that Ernesto Valverde with even Rakitic is one of his main players, the way that they're playing, Barcelona fans seem to want style and trophies. And it mm. seems that a lot of fans aren't getting the style they want this season. So that means that trophies have to come or it's a failure. And I think that's the unfortunate thing that even with a domestic double, again, this is me just hosting the show and dealing with all the, the, uh, the, the feedback that comes with that that I, I think that it was almost seen as a, a failure of a domestic double because of the way that it all happened within us at Valverde at the helm. And so if Madrid win the UCL again, 
it, are Barcelona going to repeat those same sentiments as well? Yeah, I mean, for starters, I don't see Madrid winning it again. I mean, I've, I said that last year, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I watched them play Seska Moscow and I couldn't believe how, how they let uh, Moscow walk all over them in that one, uh, for example. But, I mean, I, I, personally, I support a team who are bottom of League One in the third tier of England. So saying someone saying that the domestic double might not be enough for a team, it's quite a quite bedazzling concept for me. But, uh, I mean, f- from my perspective, I just feel like, uh, you know, Barcelona dominate domestically Real Madrid dominate continentally and that's kind of their that's been their roles in the past few seasons and if Barcelona pick up those two trophies which they value very much are they really going to be that hurt if they don't get the Champions League I I I'll be fascinated to know what the word on the street in Catalonia is about that because I mean obviously it'd be nice to win it as well but the double that's pretty cool yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100%. Um, we do have, I do have to ask, though, is it was it AFC Wimbledon? Is it Bradford City? or uh, Wimbledon is my team, yes. AFC Wimbledon, of course. I mean, you want to, and <laughs> we're going off on a tangent, but we'll be back for a second. But what a terrific, terrific story. I've loved that from the YouTube celebrity and, and John Green being involved a few years ago to, That's right. again, they're, they're rising up again. What a wonderful story AFC Wimbledon is. And again, yes, you're, you're absolutely right that they can get news for being this wonderful story and nobody seems to remember that they are a team that is is at the bottom of League One, and then Barcelona. You're right. I, I think there is a. I, I, it's not my job to call it a sense of entitlement, Ryan. I think that's your job, uh, being being the impartial <laughs> person in the middle. Um, but complacency, I, I'd maybe go with. Yeah, I, I think that's the point, and there is certainly new era coming for Barcelona. But I think as we're seeing, and this is the point here, that there's a new era coming for Real Madrid, and to see which one winds up ruling the next decade is really dependent on how this how they transition out and away from their major superstars that as right. we're seeing with Real Madrid is very much still doing on the back of Cristiano Ronaldo. So I think that wraps up La Gran Pagunta pretty nicely. So uh, I, I think that'll do us. And then we'll head to uh, La Entrevista. And Ryan, I guess this whole thing is a little bit of La Entrevista or the interview. But one of the other reasons we have you on is that you are the lead writer for Man City for The Athletic, where we have Kevin Williams on a lot. He is the main Barcelona writer, but you cover Man City. So we definitely want to pick apart some of those connections and get under the hood of some of that. So I I think the perfect place to start with talking about Man City, obviously, is the guy on the sidelines, and that's Pep Guardiola. And we don't have to talk too much about his time at at Bayern Munich, which was the transitionary period. But how do you think Pep has changed from his time on the Barcelona sidelines to now what you're seeing at Manchester? It's a good question. I mean, I think it depends on how you view how other teams have changed and how his personnel have changed as well, because maybe he has to, maybe the passing has to be a bit more direct these days. Maybe other teams are counterattacking a bit more these days. It changes the way that uh, Pep's system would work. I think, you know, definitely still very possessive, definitely still very aggressive with Man City as he has been with his past two clubs. I, I wonder if there's more. Um, and more of the the direct play from the wings. You know, there's this classic Man City goal. I mean, the West Ham game last week, they must have tried this 20 times where you, you, the, the play comes in from the wings. You've got either it was a, you know it was a Sterling or Bernardo on one of the wings coming in, uh, pulling, pulling the ball right to the, to the goal and having someone try and tap it in. And we saw, I think we saw a lot of that at Bayern as well with, you know, Robin and Ribery taking advantage of them on the wings. And, I don't. I feel like I see that more often than I used to see that at Barcelona. I think a bit less tiki taka, a bit less sideways passing, a bit more direct, a bit more wing play. And I suppose I think I see uh, him taking 
playing the ball out from the back, obviously a central tenet of Pep's system. But I maybe see him taking it to new heights with Edison, just because Edison is such an extraordinary goalkeeper mm-hmm. with the ball at his feet. The risks he takes with <laughs> the most casual expression on his face, they're incredible. The, the kind of passes he's playing, I couldn't imagine, you know, Valdez or anyone else making, or, or, or Neuer at, uh, at Bayern Munich, making these kind of risque passes that he does. And it, it's just, it's beautiful to watch. And it's, I just love it. I think I think Edison is a fantastic goalkeeper, and I think the system, the way that the City players have taken to this system, is wonderful as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think as much as people are frustrated at, and I don't even think that people are frustrated at Man City or the club itself, but obviously the money that it, the infusion of money that it gets, and um, obviously Barcelona fans, when it comes to what we'll call the petrol clubs, they're much more upset at the moment with PSG, and there seems to be much more of a rivalry between those two clubs than there is with with Man City and Barcelona. There's almost an affinity for the ways that Man City are, uh, again, uh, the, the, the flattery that comes from all that Man City did to set themselves up with Barcelona personnel. And you know, and speaking of even the playing style, you look at Kevin De Bruyne, that Chelsea cast off. He is much more downhill, though, as you mentioned, than the, the lateral passing that happened at Pep mm-hmm. Simon Guardiola. Now, speaking of that Man City recruitment, the one guy that people seem to forget in, in all of this, how important was the recruitment of Chiki Bederstein to Man City? I mean, he was in the front office of Barcelona, and now he's in the front. And the, the main guy, he is the technical director at Man City, and mm. he has been for some time now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's the man you see smiling and uh, taking the picture with the new players when they're signing their contracts and such. You know, you see, that's about the only time we see Bederstein in, in the public. But I, I, I think his importance cannot be disputed. I think the reason that City is so successful, they're so coherent, and that, you know, probably that they've got Pep Guardiola right now is because of Pajuristan and their prior relationship. I mean, he came into the club, uh, I think, 2012, you know, quite a bit before um, Guardiola. But I think what there's a couple of things he's done in that he's been perfect for bringing in the kind of players that come for an ideology, not just because they're a box office player or they're a talented player. They come with a clear vision of how the side wants to play. And he's made sure that City haven't turned into another PSG, buying the Neymars, buying the big names, not necessarily because of how they'd fit into the team or how the manager would like them, but because of, you know, they'll they'll sell shoes on shirts. So I think Bajirita Stan's been very important there and very important with the way he gets the players that Pep wants. And I think you can make a comparison with Man United as well. Look at look at the Man United team uh, and, the, and the way that Ed Woodward has uh, has has given sanctioned players for all the managers post Alex Ferguson. You've got this team which has got Ferguson centre backs. It's got Van Hal players in it. It's got Mourinho players. It's mm-hmm. got players that Mourinho rejected and have now been brought back in. All <laughs> these sort of incoherent parts, and you can and they've spent a lot of money. They've probably spent you know equal, if not a little bit more than Man City. But they've got this team of parts that don't fit together as well as cities do. And I think cities players fit together because of someone like Pajuristan at the helm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the where the place at Man City on the field, oddly enough, have spent the most money over the last two, three, four seasons is at the fullback position. It seems like mm-hmm. that's the one spot that they just don't have the recruitment or they don't have the young players coming in where or even young players to supplement. And it's funny because you look in Barcelona parallel in that in the same way where you know, Juan Miranda is a teenager, but he's the the nearest left back backup to Jordi Alba that Barcelona have at the moment. Nelson Semedo obviously had to be brought in. Sergio Roberto is a converted central midfielder. So Barcelona and Man City have the same way that it seems that 
a left back and even though Alba is now renewed it seems like a left back is in Barcelona's future and now speaking of those fringe players or bringing young players up through uh, there there obviously is a not only a belief but a truth that Bidiristan does have a seat at the table still with some La Masia players and mm. so you look at the Barcelona exports Eric Garcia was the best La Masia center back that the academy had to offer when he moved to Man City a few seasons ago and Adrian Bernabe was most recently the attacking midfielder to move. And how have you seen their transition to England? Now, obviously, Eric Garcia is uh, not only older, but a little closer to the first team as well. How have you yeah. seen those two players land in Manchester? And I, I guess, is there any hope that you could give out to Barcelona fans that they might find their way to Catalonia? Um, I, I think, yeah, I think there, there certainly is some hope they might find their way back because I'm not convinced either will end up in the starting eleven with City. Uh, maybe they'll maybe they'll find a way back via Girona, um, but we'll see about that. But yeah. say with Eric Garcia, I mean, I'm not sure how high in the pecking order he is. Um, he, Guardiola, was, Guardiola was very complimentary about him uh, in the States last summer uh, on the International Champions Cup tour, saying you know he plays well above his years. I think he's only 17 or 18, but he, they said he, he said he plays like he's in his mid 20s, and you know you could see how upset Barcelona. Uh, fans were to see him go as well but he's I think he's only played in the League Cup this season possibly only that game against Burton and I think some of the criticisms leveled at him is that he's not he's not tall and he's not incredibly physical I mean he's got the ball playing skills but he's not I mean he's not he's not a John Stones or a or a Laporte in in terms of his physicality um or you know even a, a Fabio Cannavaro if you're going to talk about a short defender mm-hmm. um but he's he's versatile. Pep loves versatility, so that gives him a, a little a bit, uh, you know, another arrow to his bow, so to speak. But I mean, Philippe Sandler, I think, is he he's competing within the Dutch Dutch youngster as well. And Sandler, I think, was on the bench against West Ham, whereas you know Garcia wasn't. So uh, that suggests to me that he's not as high in the pecking order. Um, as for Bernabe, I mean. I, I, as you say, hasn't quite broken through even as much as Garcia has. And I think the problem with him, if he's going to ever go into the City midfield, is that City aren't short of quality midfielders, as you're probably quite aware. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, <laughs> I've heard I mean, of David Silva. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he's, they've got a few. So, I mean, at his age, I know he's still a young teenager, but maybe if he was going to be fast-tracked, I'd expect him to have done more training with the first team, be a bit more involved mm. in the ancillary competitions as well. So... I could see them being the kind of players that might, you know, get their get their loan off to Girona or an, or another club and maybe um, maybe make a breakthrough uh, in that kind of way. And I, I wouldn't, I'd by no means, give up hope uh, that for Barcelona from from coming home. Now you mentioned Girona in there, and so I, I it seems like this is an, again another thing that sleeps in the back of my mind and only comes up occasionally. That Girona, when I watch them, and when a lot of Kules watch them, particularly those in Spain. They find this kinship, obviously, with Girona, the other club now, Espanyol notwithstanding because of the relationship between those two. But Girona seemingly is the, 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 and they even have one poll online that they're the team that Barcelona fans root for secondary. They're the team that they they represent Catalonia in a way that makes Kules proud. But how nervous should Barcelona fans be about City's relationship with Girona? And obviously now that City have a firm way. Now, it's global, so you can put your eyes and scouts everywhere. But if there's a club in Girona that has this this direct connection and affiliation with Man City, that 
there's a, there's a thought I think Kool Aid as well say that oh you could just uh, Sergi Samper as he tries to recover from injury or Alenia if they didn't believe that he was ready for the first team you can loan them to Girona but that's not the yeah. way it works Girona's relationship is with Man City not at all with Barcelona so if Pedro Poro of of Girona winds up becoming a superstar right back there's a much better chance that City uh, snatches him up than a Barcelona would yeah it's an interesting point actually and um, I mean. I don't. I think there's only two or three um, loanees from City at Girona this season, but they had more last season. Yeah. And obviously, as you say, it's um, it's the strongest relationship there. I suppose you could look at it as the Etihad campus, as City's uh, academy grows, their EDS grows, then you'll see more and more players going over there. And and they're. I mean, they're talking about changing the FIFA rules on loans. So it might not be loans. It might be you know straight up selling selling them to Girona in in, in air quotes, um, but. But it, you, you could end up seeing maybe somewhere down the line direct competition, even more direct competition between City's academy and Barcelona's in terms of, you know, uh, Bar- a City's academy will effectively be on Barcelona's doorstep with their products yep. ending up in Catalonia at Girona. Yeah. Then speaking of some of those products, uh, one of the guys that we tried to feature here and on the website barsupply.com, Ajax Moriba, most recently just turned 16 in January, and there was great fear that Man City was going to poach his to, to, to poach the young Spaniard and he was going to move to England, but instead Barcelona were able to convince him, and he's a player that has played, and you'd think that all Barcelona academy players are special to play up the age levels, but he in particular has taken one or two jumps up, and he's one they certainly are, have focused on to almost make him believe that he has a place uh, at the club in the future. Mm-hmm. But what can Barcelona do to continue to protect their talents from Man City just simply being able to not even offer more game time, but offer just more money? <laughs> I'm not sure they can do that. It's a great question. <laughs> I mean, I mean, all we can do is to, you know, instill the values of the club and maybe give them a bit of game time. You know, show, show, give them a glimpse behind the curtains. Give, give them some time in a, in a cup competition or something. I can't think of any other way you can stop them being you know, from the bright lights of England, from the bright lights of going to, to, to a club like City. I mean, as I say, those FIFA loan rules, I think, they're talking about limiting loans to six to eight players per team so that Chelsea basically stop having 40 players out on loan and City have, I think, 28 or 29 at the mm-hmm. moment as well. The, but the, whether that affects homegrown players and what constitutes a homegrown player, because, of course, players can come over as teenagers from uh, from from Catalonia and be homegrown players in the UK. So it's, it, all these things, I think, will sort of maybe we'll see some changing of rules and... Um, the, the approach being a little different in the future. But as for Barcelona protecting those talents, great question. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. Well, I, I think the next one might even be harder. I, I, I can't, off, I can't uh, ask you to explain or to solve Brexit for our listeners, but oh uh, is, there, is there a possibility or what have you been hearing or what seems to be the a general idea of any ways that Brexit, whether it's no deal whether there, there, there is some kind of deal, whatever, whatever the concession may be, how that could affect the way that Man City and Chelsea and Man United and how they gather talent for their academies. You know, I thought I could come on this podcast and escape my Brexit nightmare for just an hour, but you've dragged uh, so me right sorry. back in. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, 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 it's, no, I mean, this is another thing. Nobody really knows. I mean, all yeah. we probably know is that it's going to be more expensive for teams like City in the UK to buy players. And I think there's almost certainly going to be more visa complications. Right. Um, I mean, you look at someone like Douglas Luiz, who's uh, at Girona this season. Pep 
really wanted to bring him back. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's he 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 could be the Fernandinho successor, the the one pl- uh, part of the Man City team they're struggling to have cover for. Um, he could be that player, but um, he got trouble with the UK Home Office. His his visa was denied. He had to go back to Girona again. So I can see more of that kind of thing happening, and I could see operating expenses increasing. Not necessarily that would be a problem for a team like City, but. Uh, I don't know. Would the, it depends how Brexit treats the movement of people within the EU, and it depends on various other terribly dull financial factors right. and depressing things that we will see unfold in the next few months, undoubtedly. But it's it's going to be very interesting to watch it. That's for sure. Yeah, certainly. At, at the point that we are, it, it is different. It is difficult to differentiate between how politics are affecting football and. To a lesser extent, how football affects politics. Obviously, you have mm. whole countries owning clubs and things like that. But for Barcelona, it's a, it's a similar thing where you look at uh, the, what's happening in Catalonia with the, the trials of the Catalan separatists at the moment as well. That sometimes it, those things do bleed into one another. And, you know, as you in all the positions you're in as a journalist, I know it's a, a difficult ask to try to have to separate everything and all of your writing. But it, it is much more interesting and engaging to understand the political ramifications that things happen in the global world that affect the clubs and that these clubs are not bigger or more important than what's happening around us. No, definitely not. And I mean, FIFA makes a big deal about keeping politics out of the game. You know, it's, a, it's yeah. not within the laws to make political gestures on the field. I think, was it Beckham being fine? Robbie Fowler, I remember back in the day, was fine for wearing a political gesture T-shirt. Well, but Serb- it, I think it's Pol- Serbia and Serb- uh, Albania. I mean, they, that happens. Uh, we, we have won every time for that. <laughs> yeah, that's another example. So, I, I mean, they are intrinsically linked, politics and soccer. And as you say, we've got, we've got, you know, you could look at teams like or City Football Group or PSG effectively being a positive PR exercise for certain countries. So mm. there's, it, it, you can't separate them. And they are, they are, <laughs> they're definitely related. And, and we, we'll see how it does affect a team like City or, you know, the Premier League in general might change in the next few years who knows right well we started this by talking about how la liga could change in the future we ended by talking about how the premier league could change we really (laughs) went through the whole gamut in europe ryan you were terrific and as i said at the start of the show there's plenty of places you can that people can find you your twitter handle will be in the description but just could you rattle off for us where people else can find you yeah, of course. The Twitter is Ryan J Bailey J A Y. The full middle name is in there, um, and I do writing weekly for the Athletic, several pieces a week for Yahoo Sports, and check out the Twitter for various other things. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I could say uh, people can also check out AFC Wimbledon as well. They're at the bottom of the League One table, and uh, I'm impartial, so I can say that let's try to put some of our coolies and uh, maybe that some. Uh, extra effort there can help them up the league one table but uh, oh definitely yeah and if i don't say so myself i think we are a wonderful story as you said and if anyone's got any spare change down the back of their couch or anything stick it in an envelope send it to wimbledon it'd be greatly appreciated just to buy a striker that's all i say (laughs) (laughs) there you go well thanks so much ryan for joining us and thank you the listeners for tuning in again you can tap in your app and check out the show notes you can find ryan but also subscribe to our show you can find us on social media we're on twitter at the barcelona pod or at hilton d13 for me and on instagram at the barcelona pod our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives. And we usually have our listener questions as well, but we did La Entrevista today. Help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. And now we're also on YouTube, now at the Barcelona Podcast, where you might have heard Lagran Pagunta or watched Lagran Pagunta today. You can check us out there and hit that subscription button. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, talk to you soon. And for the Barca.
Welcome to Four Scores, a new podcast series hosted by Variety's John Burlingame. Four Scores will take listeners on a magical journey into the world of film and television composers, including Alan Silvestri, composer of The Avengers Endgame, Henry Jackman, composer of Wreck-It Ralph, and Pinar Toprock, composer of Captain Marvel. Composers will reveal to fans the challenges, rewards, and emotions that went into crafting these incredible scores. Listen wherever you hear your favorite podcasts. At Metro, the best deal in wireless is on. Switch to Metro and get one full Amazon Prime membership included every month. Plus, get two free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens. All with two lines for just 90 bucks. That's the best deal in wireless, only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.